loving Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy and goodness and your love which you have bestowed upon each and every one of us. We are so grateful, Father, for the spiritual blessings you also give to us. Our Father, we prepare ourselves now to fellowship with you and we hope that we will be equipped to prepare for the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We know that we have a long way to go in doing the things that you want us to do. Therefore, we pray, help us now to rightly divide the word of truth and give us your spirit for this purpose. Put your words in my mouth that the words spoken will be as the oracles of God that we all may be blessed to understand our duty and give us the courage to practice what we learn. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflicts and Courage, September 23 A Straight Message Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Amos chapter 4 verse 12 John the Baptist, in his desert life, was taught of God. He studied the revelations of God in nature. Under the guiding of the Divine Spirit, he studied the scrolls of the prophets. By day and by night, Christ was his study, his meditation, until mind and heart and soul were filled with the glorious vision. He looked upon the King in his beauty, and self was lost sight of. He beheld the majesty of holiness and knew himself to be inefficient and unworthy. It was God's message that he was to declare. It was in God's power and his righteousness that he was to stand. He was ready to go forth as heaven's messenger, unawed by the human, because he had looked upon the divine. With no elaborate arguments or fine-spun theories did John declare his message startling and stern, yet full of hope. His voice was heard from the wilderness. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Unlearned peasants and fishermen from the surrounding country, the Roman soldiers from the barracks of Herod, chieftains with their swords at their sides, ready to put down anything that might savour of rebellion, the avaricious tax-gatherers from their toll boots and from the Sanhedrin, the phylactered priests all listened as if spell-bound and all went away, caught to the heart with a sense of their sins. In this age, just prior to the second coming of Christ in the clouds of heaven, such a work as that of John is to be done. God calls for men. Who will prepare a people to stand in the great day of the Lord? As a people who believe in Christ's soon coming, we have a message to bear. Prepare to meet thy God. 
our message must be as direct as was the message of John. He rebuked kings for their iniquity. Notwithstanding that his life was imperiled, he did not hesitate to declare God's word. And our work in this age must be done as faithfully. In order to give such a message as John gave, we must have a spiritual experience like his. The same work must be wrought in us. We must behold God and in beholding him, lose sight of self. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is A Straight Message. John the Baptist is a representative of what we are to be in these last days as he was given the work to prepare a people to meet God the first time when Jesus was about to come. We also are given the same work to prepare ourselves and others for the second coming of Jesus. The last few words of this devotion we have already looked at. It says that in order for us to give such a message as John gave, we must have a spiritual experience like his, and that is, we must behold God, and by beholding him, we must lose sight of self. In beholding Christ, we will have that experience we have looked at of temperance. Beholding Christ, we need to go to an environment that is pure and moral atmosphere, so that we can also view in uh, in the things of nature and in his word behold him like we read in the beginning part of this devotion john studied the revelations of god in nature that was him beholding christ now under the guiding of the divine spirit he studied the scrolls of the prophets that was him beholding christ by day and by night christ was his study his meditation until mind and heart and soul were filled with the glorious vision so what does it take for us to prepare people to meet god it takes us first of all to prepare ourselves and in preparing ourselves we must do the things that we have seen in the previous devotions there must be a reform in our lives in the work of temperance and then we must have an experience in the environment we go to so that it can change us gradually by going to the environment where we are in contact with nature but most importantly and this cannot be compared to every other thing i've said we must study the bible we must behold christ through the prophets through the psalms through the words of the apostles and through the story of jesus and god has so blessed us today with the spirit of prophecy we can use those books well broken down for us to understand and behold christ in greater in a greater light than we have ever seen i pray that we all can understand what this means now Having beheld Christ, John was prepared to do a work that God had raised him for, the work of giving a straight message to Israel. As we were reading, you would have heard a mention of people called the Sanhedrin. You would have heard of the Toll Masters and Herod. You would have also heard of the Romans. That means there was a lot of changes that had taken place since the days of John and 
since the days of Nehemiah and the days of John the Baptist. But John was raised up to speak to, to all these people. That's why this devotion is going to be concentrating on the kind of message that John gave, which we call the street message. It's direct and startling nature and how it was straight to the point, calling sin by its right name and able to reach the hearts of the people. And why was it that this street message was needed at this time? Why was it that the street testimony was needed? We will look at that. You see, giving the street testimony is not about elaborate arguments, but about a call to repentance, pointing the people to the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. To tell the people directly, do not steal, do not kill, stop committing adultery, practice the truth of the word of God, go away from every evil, stop coveting. Stop being angry and dishonoring father and mother. It means the breaking down of the law of God. Tell people to worship God only. All of that. This is the kind of message that will prepare the people. But like I said, to understand the nature of John's message and appreciate its relevance, it will be important for us to understand some key details about the state of Israel at this time and the events that were taking place in the time of John the Baptist. The key players in the days of John were the Sanhedrin as we heard. That's the a mixture of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then Herod, we had the Samaritans, we had the publicans. We've not heard of these people ever since we've been studying. They were not there in the days of Nehemiah. So something had happened from the days of Nehemiah to the days of John. And we need to fill in that gap so that we understand why John needed to give this straight message. Now, according to the vision received by Daniel before the coming of the Messiah, there was going to be four kingdoms that would bear rule over the earth. Nehemiah lived in the days of the second kingdom, the Persian kingdom. According to angel Gabriel, the third kingdom that would bear rule over the world was about to come. He himself said that he was going to strengthen the kingdom of Greece, that it may come against the kingdom of Persia. You can see that in Daniel chapter 10 verse 21. God was still in the business of judging nations, removing kings who do not acknowledge him and rule in righteousness and setting up other kings. Persia had made war with Greece as early as 492 BC. But by 331 BC, Greece would eventually conquer the Persian kingdom under the instrumentality of Alexander the Great. As we know, he later died because of intemperance in his appetite. He drank himself to death and left the kingdom for four of his generals. Gradually, these four generals began to wane. There were four of them like we have seen in other devotions like Lysimachus to the east and Seleucus to the north, Ptolemy to the south and Cassandra to the west. Lysimachus to the east first fell to the hands of Seleucid. Then Cassandra stayed along with these other two kingdoms till later it fell to the Romans in 168 BC. The two powerful kingdoms of the Greek Empire were Ptolemy with its capital at Egypt to the south and Seleucus with its capital at Syria to the north. And now this is where Israel comes in. Judea was geographically placed in the middle of these two kingdoms. Firstly, Judah was a province of Ptolemy. The Ptolemian kingdom used Israel as a buffer state, a protection from the Syrians, the Seleucids, so that they could not easily get to Egypt, the capital of Ptolemy. They gave lots of gifts, as Ptolemy gave lots of gifts to the Jews who were very comfortable to reside in Egypt. The Jews were undisturbed by Ptolemy and were granted religious freedom. 
but the Jews residing in Egypt would later prove a snare. Satan was scheming something. The Jews who settled in Egypt became Hellenized. Hellenism was the religion of the Greeks. Their religion consisted in sports of all kinds, theatrical entertainments, and beauty pageantry. They also had the Greek philosophies that had endless theories, none of which acknowledged the God of heaven. Now, the Jews in Egypt, who related closely with the Greek officials, had to use the Greek language and many among the upper class in Judea, including the priests, adopted Hellenistic dresses and customs. The younger minority felt that the old faith and morals were out of date but the mass of the people were inclined to distrust the new model of things. They had so departed, as those in Egypt had so departed from the Jewish faith that the Hebrew scriptures needed to be translated to the Greek language for them. They were like those people who we talked about in the days of Nehemiah that couldn't speak the Jewish language fluently. In opposition, there grew up a conservative party that stood for strict observance to the scriptures. These conservatives were known as the Hasidim or the pious ones. Much later, much year, some years later, they would then become what we know, some of them, not all, will become known as the Pharisees. The controversy between the Hasidim, that's the pious ones, and the Jewish Hellenists, that is those who were given over to the Greek customs, will continue till the days of Jesus and John the Baptist. So, it happened that in 202 BC, the Seleucids of Syria had a battle against Ptolemy and took over Palestine, that is Judah, from Ptolemy. Now, Judah was no longer under Egypt, but they were now being ruled by the northern kingdom, which is Seleucus. After this war, Judah was a province of Syria. As, let me just pause in this story for a while. Do you see that what was happening to Judah is what happened to the church of God. Simply put, some priests became worldly. They started to like the things of the world. And then the younger generation that were coming up felt that they were not finding the Jewish religion to be woke enough for them. They were not finding it to be fun enough. And they wanted things to change. They wanted a new model of things. But they were the other conservative party, the pious ones who wanted to follow strictly the word of God. So let me continue the story now because this is where the story now becomes really interesting. In the days when they were under the Syrians, one king called Antiochus Epiphanes oppressed the Jews. In his days, something happened that will give rise to a big rift among the Jews and give rise to what we now know as the Pharisees and Sadducees and later what we know as the Herods. Antiochus Epiphanes tried to force Hellenism on the Jews. The Jewish Hellenists who had apostatized usually paid him visits to inform him of their wish to adopt the Hellenistic culture which he was promoting and they requested to build a gymnasium. That's a gym. Do you know? Gym is not a new thing. A gymnasium was something that the Jews hated to the core. Why? I'll read now. It goes on. He want, this, this, this Hellenist wanted them to Build this gymnasium not just anywhere but in Jerusalem and Antiochus Epiphanes actually did it. This gymnasium actually it greatly annoyed the Hasidim conservatives who held on to the original Jewish faith because in the gym there was all kinds of corruption. 
as we have seen in previous devotions the athletics were in honor to the greek gods and the athletes in the gym they usually exercised nude i mean stark naked you would see you can just go and google what i'm saying you'll see the pictures that they will tell you 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 see them their whole body from top to bottom naked in the gym today it has just been a bit modified with people wearing shorts and tight clothing it is still the same thing do you understand oh christian that this matter this gyming issue this sports issue is all has always been an invention of the greeks in honor to their gods look at what is happening in the sports i mean they just finished the iaaf international athletics whatever federation their competition look at the dressing of the people it's not almost the same thing the only difference is that are wearing pants that's all and then the ladies are covering their chest it's still the same tight clothing almost naked people just walking around and jumping it was always like that the jews they spoke against this thing we christians of today how about you do you still see these things as something pleasurable then you are being hellenized you don't know it you are being hellenized in fact hellenization complete hundred percent but you are not aware we need to come out of these things the hasidim they were good people these conservatives they did not join in these things and it annoyed them because they held on to the original jewish faith and like i said corruptions were going on so later the officials of the temple that is of the jewish temple were more interested in sports than executing their religious duties they pleased Antiochus Epiphanes. That reminds me of how some of our pastors today are more interested in going to watch football matches even when they are supposed to be doing their duties. At one time between 170 and 168 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes visited Jerusalem to show his appreciation of the Jewish Hellenists, the apostatized Jews. He executed a number of the Hasidims and some who wanted to return to the lenient Egyptian sovereignty and also took many of the temple treasures thanks to the Jewish Hellenists. In 168 BC, he entered again into the temple. He stopped the morning and evening sacrifice, erected an altar before the temple and sacrificed pigs there. He also ordered the Jews to cease their worship of Jehovah and offer worship to the Olympian gods, the gods of the sports, Zeus and Dionysius. He ordered them to use the pig as both an article of diet and for sacrifices. He also said they should cease circumcision and destroy the Torah, that is the Hebrew scriptures. Now, what would, what would they do? What would he ask them to do now? The faithful Jews resisted all through the week they will resist but on the sabbath they will not resist they chose rather to die than resist and because of this many of them were killed it was at this time that the Maccabeans came into the picture at one time a man called Mathathias, who was of the priestly lineage also part of the Hasidim he was ordered to offer the sacrifice to the Greek gods he was sent by Antiochus Epiphanes um, a soldier was sent by Antiochus Epiphanes to ensure that this was done. Now, instead of this, Mathathias and his five sons conspired and killed the Greek delegates that were sent along with a Jewish man who actually offered the sacrifice. They fled into hiding and other Jews likewise joined them. This began a series of wars between the Jews and the kingdom of the Seleucids. 
after Mattathias' death, his first son, Judas, took the name Maccabees. And this is how we now give birth to the Maccabeans. They were actually the ones that are called the Hasmoneans. They were the Hasmoneans. So Judas was the first leader of this revolt. Mattathias, of course, his father was the first, but he was the main leader now, Judas, of the revolt against the Seleucid Empire. Judas succeeded in restoring worship in the temple. In a bid to protect himself from the Seleucid power, he sent delegates to make alliance with a power that was already rising for some time now. That was the Romans. Everybody had heard of the fame of the Romans. They knew that they had conquered Macedonia and they had conquered most part of North Africa. And the power of Ptolemy was already waning because they had been conquered by Seleucid. Now, these Romans, everybody wanted to rub shoulders with them and Judas went to rub shoulders with them looking for their help. But this alliance was not really formed. After many exploits, Judas was murdered in a battle against the Seleucid Empire. His brother, Jonathan, took over from him. Now, just listen to how the apostasy was becoming, was beginning in Israel. I think the problem really started with Amatatias actually killing someone. That was where the problem started. By resisting the evil, it reminds me of what Jesus said to them. When he said to them, resist not evil. These people for years, they had become so stubborn and so dogged that they were fighting and this is just the beginning just listen to things that happened much later after the death of judas his brother jonathan took over from him jonathan consolidated power and the seleucids did not attack him he began to give gifts to demetrius who was the king of the seleucids at the time and guess what happened now he was rewarded with the office of the high priest this is what began the politics in the church they started to pay money to become officers the high priest but jonathan will be treacherously murdered by one whom he thought was his friend his brother simon took over from him and simon would even go further than jonathan in power grabbing simon became the high priest the general and the earthnarch which is the ruler of the people of god he was the earthnarch of judah recall that these men that i'm talking about now all these men matatias family who are doing these things are levites from aaron's lineage people who were supposed to be concerned with the matters of the spiritual state of israel were now full-fledged politicians simon was later killed by his own son-in-law and then his son john hyrcanus became the next high priest he john hyrcanus did something even worse he subdued samaria and idumia idumia are the Edomites. And remember that God had told the Israelites, don't ever abhor the Edomites because they are your brothers. Hmm. He forced the Edomites and the Samarians to be to either leave their country or be circumcised and accept the Jewish religion. Thus, these Hasmoneans, which are the Hakabees, the Maccabees, a block of the Pharisees, people who were once champions of religious freedom, who were standing against Antiochus Epiphanes because he was trying to force them to worship other gods, they themselves started forcing their religion on others. This effort to join together the house of Jacob and Esau, a project that had failed in the past, will later prove to be one of the greatest snares for the Jews and will be a cause of much sorrow for them. They will never recover from its effect, which we will see soon. 
they subdued the Edomites. The Edomites were under them. They forced them to be circumcised. They forced them to accept the Jewish religion. Even the Samarians, they forced them too. Now, recall that the Maccabeans are a part of the Hasidim, who later were known as the Pharisees. Now, at this time when this, this man, uh, Hycanus, John Hycanus, was the head and did all these things, the Pharisees, at the time, they provoked him. And do you know what he did? He left the Pharisees to become a Sadducee. The Sadducee are now known are the ones the Sadducees are the people who are now the Hellenists, the ones who had apostatized from the Jewish religion. And this made, this made John Hyrcanus to be hated by the populace. Aristobulus, his son, came to power after his death. And he was supposed to be the high priest while his mother would take the civil authority. But this man locked his mother in prison and starved her to death and the rest of his brothers he also imprisoned but he was assassinated within one year he didn't stay long now his wife called alexandra or salome released his brother called alexander janos from prison and then she married him and made him both the ruler that is the ethnarch that's the ruler of the people of god and also made him the high priest and so he went further now this man this alexander he now made himself king remember that israel has, has had no king all this while and if there must be a king in israel it must come from the tribe of judah but here it is that these levites who are from the tribe of levi they are not supposed to involve themselves in land grabbing because they are not supposed to have any land remember they are not also supposed to involve themselves in politics now these levites have become the lords of the tribe of judah they are now taking power to themselves so this alexander janus that married salome his brother's uh, wife then embarked on an ambitious project to gain all the territory of israel to the state that it was in in the days of david he failed woefully the people hated him and connived with the seleucids to fight him during this time they treated the pharisees with much barbarism they suffered the pharisees suffered in this time and before his death he advised salome his wife to side with the pharisees when he dies and she did that she supported the pharisees she held the civil power and handed the office of high priest to her son hycanus the second but his brother aristogonus the second sided with the sadducees now the family the, the the fight between the sadducees and the pharisees now became a family issue this would begin another phase of civil wars in judah the pharisees versus the uh, pharisees led by hycanus the second versus the sadducees led by his brother aristogonus the second now Remember that the Edomians, which is the Edomites, the Esau's people, were already subdued by Israel at the time, by the Judas, by the Jews, and they were under John Hycanus. There was a man who they put in power when they subdued them. His name is Antipas. Antipas had a son called Antipater. Antipater chose to support John Hycanus in his battles against his brother Antigonus II that is the pharisees versus the sadducees it was at this time that a strange turn of events happened this is when the romans came into the picture pompey was the general that was the head of the romans at the time and he sent people to judah and his his, his uh, soldiers there to like just come and annex the place and when he sent them 
Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees sent emissaries to welcome him. But it was the Sadducees that found favor with Rome. But because Antigonus II was too proud, he was imprisoned along with his sons. Now a strange turn of events took place. Judah was divided by Pompey into five districts. Hyrcanus, who was the leader of Judah and also leader of the, Edom, of the Edomians, the Edomites, was now made to be only the high priest, just the high priest. And the Pharisees were given the role of being them in the priesthood. But the Edomite Antipater was now made the prime minister over all of Judah. Thus, power shifted hands to the Edomites. Antipater then made his son, Phasael, the governor of Jerusalem, and his younger brother enter in Herod the Great. Right now, he was just a small, he was just a young man at this time. He made Herod the governor of Galilee. The Jews under Antigonus, the son of that brother of Hyrcanus, Aristobulus II, who was a Sadducee, rose up against Herod and his brother, and they imprisoned the brother of Herod, Phasael, and Phasael killed himself. But Herod fled to Rome. Now in Rome, Herod was made to be not just the governor, but the king of the whole of Judah. So he went and fought against Judah and took it and put Antigonus to death. He later executed 45 nobles of the Sanhedrin who led in the revolt of Antigonus and organized a new Sanhedrin council consisting of mostly Pharisees. Remember that Antigonus who rebelled was a Sadducee. So he formed a Sanhedrin that was consisting mostly of Pharisees who at the time were less hostile than the Sadducees. But the Pharisees chose not to take an oath of allegiance to him. So he did not give them the office of high priest. And the Sanhedrin therefore played no political role but became an office merely for theological discussions. Herod married the granddaughter of Hyrcanus who was the leader of the, remember he's the leader of the Maccabeans. He, he married his granddaughter so that he could get favor from the Jews. But because he feared that they would gang up and take power from him, much later, he killed Hyrcanus, his father-in-law, killed Hyrcanus' wife, killed the brother, and also, who else did he kill? He killed his own wife that he married. The children that were born to him from this Jewish Maccabean wife, Alexander and Antigonus, they received their training in Greece. When they came back to Judah, everybody loved them, and it looked as if they were going to take power from Herod. Do you know what Herod did? Herod killed his two sons. Antigonus and Alexander he killed them because he feared that they would take the kingdom from him. At a time when he was old and sick, people thinking that he would die began to rejoice, but he didn't die. He, re he recovered and then he killed a lot of people that were rejoicing because they thought he was going to die. And then he told his wife, when I die, make sure you imprison most of the Pharisees and kill them so that they will not be rejoicing, that instead of rejoicing, there will be mourning. She did what she, he, he asked her to do by imprisoning the Pharisees, but later she released them. She didn't kill them. When the wise men from the East, you know, all these things now, I started at 168 BC. All of this is happening around 7 BC now, this last part. Now, this is what came, this is man that was in power, this Herod the Great. This Herod the Great, not Herod Antipas, but Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one in power at the time when Jesus was born. When the wise men from the east came with the news that a king was born in Israel, what do you think he would do? 
this is a man that was trying to suppress every and any on any kind of rebellion or uprising against his kingdom do you understand why now that he when he realized that the wise men did not tell him where the king was he decided to kill all the children in bethlehem from ages 2 and downwards he later died in 4 bc and herod antipas took the reins of power and it was this herod antipas that was the herod in the days of john the baptist now with this chaotic state of events in the social and religious structure of the jews they had lost sight of the purpose of the messiah all the reforms that nehemiah tried to instill in them satan had succeeded in diverting away from them their attention was diverted from the work of reform and preparation for the coming of the messiah whose sole purpose was to bring about salvation from sin what they wanted was people like Judas and Simon and Mattathias and Hykanos who will be the deliverer from the hands of the Romans and from Herod. Do you now realize why just even within the 12 disciples of Jesus, you can hear those names? Simon, Judas, John, John Hykanos, remember? They were popular names in Israel at the time because it was more like in honor of those men who fought for us. That's what it looks like. So these people were like the icons of hope for them. They wanted people like Simon and John Hykanos and Judas, the Maccabeans, who will deliver them from the Roman and Herodian yoke. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees were ready to kill, steal, fight, resort to intrigue, involve in political schemes for the purpose of taking the power from the from Herod and also from themselves. Now. What will God do to help these people who have forgotten their whole purpose? Almost all the people were waiting for a favorable opportunity to strike and deliver themselves from the Herodians. At times, they would even spark revolts and rebellions. In the days of John the Baptist, the son of Herod the Great known as Herod Antipas was in power. The unscrupulous Sadducees, Annas and Caiaphas had taken an oath to the Herodians and were rewarded with the position of high priest. Judah was in a great chaos. They were not worshipping Baal and other gods now. But Satan had succeeded in bringing them to an even similar state to that which caused their captivity. Or I will say even worse state. They had completely forgotten God and were all about their own business and looking for personal gains. They wanted to have political positions and were vying for spiritual offices too. Many had involved themselves in all kinds of evil, cherishing hatred in their hearts, seeking vengeance on their enemies. Their hands were stained with blood of their own brothers. What would God do to make them wake up from their death stupor? God raised John the Baptist at this time to give a straight message to these deluded people who were involved in such evil but yet claiming to be his children. But I want to divert a bit. But it's not really a diversion, but to apply it to ourselves. As we look at the story of these Jews, does it not sound like something very similar, especially among the southerners in Nigeria and also among Christians all around the world who want to now involve in politics so that they can make laws to favor themselves, for example, in the US? This is what they were concerned with. It was no longer about themselves because you have two factions of Christians today like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they are fighting against one another. Now they are going into politics. They want to make themselves kings who will make laws that will favor the church. But when Sadducean kings who or 
people like let me say people who don't even believe in god at all become kings oh the liberal christians are happy but all of them have forgotten their purpose but if you narrow it down to your own environment you realize that these things are happening the church members the pastors now are seeking for political power they are even more political than politicians themselves this is what the pharisees and sadducees were like vying for power paying for offices being loyal to this person and that person godfatherism was happening in israel in judah at the time the people were not preparing to meet their god but god said john sent john the baptist and he wants to send you and me today to wake up the people from their death stupor and what kind of message will wake them the straight message reading from luke chapter 3 from verse 1 it says now in the 15th year of the reign of tiberius caesar pontius pilate being governor of judah and herod being tetrarch of galilee and his brother philip tetrarch of ituria and the region of traconitis and lysanias the tetrarch of abilene annas and caiphas being the high priests the word of god came unto john the son of zacharias in the wilderness and he came into all the country about jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness crying online prepare ye the way of the lord make his paths straight every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways shall be made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of god here john the baptist was no person involved in the pharisees and sadducees he was not involved in any of those things john the baptist was into self-supporting independent ministry and he was speaking the words of the lord to everybody he was not siding the pharisees or supporting the pharisees or the sadducees he was not supporting any one of them all of them were involved in evil and the lord raised him up to speak the truth to them and he went online he didn't have any synagogue for himself he didn't have any church location he just went online and started publishing his messages preaching the word of god whosoever will hear let him hear and what was the nature of his sermon the straight message strictly repent and for you to tell somebody to repent you must tell them what to repent of so he was mentioning sin by its right name matthew chapter 3 reading from verse 4 to 6 says at that same time john had his raiment of camel's hair and a leaden girdle about his loins and his meat was locust and wild honey reading from verse 5 now it says then went out to him jerusalem and all judea and all the region round about jordan and were baptized of him in jordan confessing their sins so very important he was preaching repentance and people were confessing why did they need to confess you've seen already what had happened during the previous years people were in all kinds of evil and they were confessing now verse 7 says but when he saw many of the pharisees and sadducees come to his baptism he said unto them o generation of vipers who had warned you to flee from the wrath to come bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance and think not to say within yourselves we have abraham to our father for i say unto you that god is able of these stones to raise up children unto abraham and now also 
the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. In Luke chapter 3 verse 10 it says, And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized, and he said unto the, and they and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers, these are Roman soldiers now, likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. These words of John the Baptist were hitting the nail on the head. He was telling them their particular sins. These soldiers, what were they doing? Like we've seen in the past, these were people, whether Roman soldiers or even the Pharisees and Sadducees, whichever one who were ready to fight any time, they were people who were doing violence, accusing people falsely, creating sabotages and all kinds of false flag operations. These people were doing it and John the Baptist told them, stop doing that. We are supposed to give the same kind of message as we see that the Christian world of today is just similar to that in which John lived. And it is no small thing to give this message. And it is not the precious, soft, smooth message that will wake people up. We are told in Spiritual Gifts, Volume 2, page 299, paragraph 2. Those who engage in the solemn work of bearing the third angel's message must move out decidedly and in the spirit and power of God. Fearlessly preach the truth and let it cut. They should elevate the standard of truth and urge the people to come up to it. It has been lowered down to meet the people in their condition of darkness and sin. It is the pointed testimony that will bring up the people to decide. A peaceful testimony will not do this." End of quote. Do you get that? If you don't talk like John the Baptist, the people will not wake up. It is not telling them peace, peace that will make them wake up. You have to speak today. We have to speak like John the Baptist. If we have to wake the church up from their death stupor. Testimonies, Volume 3, page 255, paragraph 4 says, The terrible iniquity which abounds calls for the greatest diligence and for the living testimony to keep sin out of the church. Faith has been decreasing to a fearful degree and it is only by exercise that it can increase. Then Spiritual Gives Volume 2, page 283, paragraph 3 says, Sins exist in the church that God hates, but they are scarcely touched for fear of making enemies. Opposition has risen in the church to the plain testimony. Some will not bear it. They wish smooth things spoken unto them. And if the wrongs of individuals are touched, they complain of severity and sympathize with those in the wrong. As Ahab inquired of Elijah, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? They are ready to look with suspicion and doubt upon those who bear the plain testimony, and like Ahab, overlook the wrong which made it necessary for reproof and rebuke. When the church departs from God, they despise the plain testimony and complain of severity and harshness. It is a sad evidence of the lukewarm state of the church." End of quote. The focus of this is that God is telling us 
that we need to speak the plain truth in our day as John the Baptist did. Okay. Spiritual Gifts, Volume 2, page 300, Paragraph 1 says, The people are asleep in their sins and need to be alarmed before they can shake off this liturgy. Their ministers have preached smooth things. God's servants who bear sacred, vital truths should cry aloud and spare not, that the truth may tear off the garment of security and find its way to the heart. And also, Voice in Speech and Song, Page 345, paragraph 3 says, The minister will meet wrongs that will seem to defy correction. They will be made aware of sins that seem to be covered, that will need to be exposed on the right hand and on the left. The prophet says, Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. End of quote. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is waking us up to our duty. We are to be as John the Baptist, having beheld Christ ourselves and studied his words through the prophets and also beheld him in nature, we will be transformed into his image and having done that, we have a work to do in giving the third angel's message and speaking the straight truth. And the third angel's message being referred to here is as we see it in Revelation 14 verse 12, the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. We are to call our world to repentance and tell them prepare to meet thy God. May God give us his spirit and his grace that we, as we see our world like the days of John the Baptist, the same thing, ministers involved in politics, priests wanting to be kings and civil rulers and involving themselves in all kinds of evil godfatherism and all kinds of schemings done both to themselves to punish one another and come against one another. It is a time for us like John the Baptist to speak the straight truth and give the straight message. May the Lord encourage and bless you and give you the grace and courage to do this work. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for your words which you have given to us today. And we pray, Father, that you would raise us up like John the Baptist to do a work for our time, especially that you would transform our lives, that as we behold you in your word constantly, that our own character shall be changed into the image of Christ, and then we'll do the work that needs to be done. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.